this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath last week on the eve of the nato summit in madrid Turkey which had threatened to veto Finland and Sweden's bid to join NATO signed a tripartite agreement with both these countries under the agreement Turkey has agreed to reverse its stand and endorse Finland and Sweden's NATO membership application in exchange for the two Nordic countries agreeing to stop supporting what Turkey calls Kurdish terrorists who are apparently enjoying safe haven in Finland and Sweden But 3 days later after signing this deal Turkey has again warned that it could still block the two countries NATO membership process if they do not meet Turkey's expectations. So what exactly are Turkey's expectations from Sweden and Finland? What is the substance of this tripartite deal and what are these Kurdish terrorist groups that Finland and Sweden have supposedly given safe harbor to? We explore all these questions and more in this episode of the InFocus podcast and our guest today is Stanley Johnny the Hindu's international affairs editor. Stanley thank you so much for joining us. Uh Stanley to start with can you give us a quick overview of this uh, tripartite deal that has been signed by these three countries? What does Turkey actually require of uh, Finland and Sweden? in exchange for its support and i'm also wondering you know if you can talk a little bit about the broader context in which this is happening you know the broader context of course uh, is russia's invasion of ukraine which has led to these two countries feeling insecure and wanting to join nato and then there's stuff going on in the middle east so i'm just hoping that in this podcast we could sort of join these dots together yeah sure sure sampath so if you look at the trilateral memorandum so it's a 10 point document it's a very brief document signed by the three foreign ministers of turkey sweden and finland so interestingly if you read it i mean it's not difficult to understand that turkey uh, sweden and finland have practically given to turkey whatever turkey wanted you know like for example you look at the language of the memorandum turkey's main concern when it blocked Sweden's NATO bid was their support for the Kurdish cause. So Turkey was saying that, especially Sweden, was home to Kurdish terrorists within courts. And then Turkey wanted to uh, wanted Sweden to cut off ties with the uh, Kurdish groups. Turkey also wanted Sweden to extradite some of the PKK or YPG supporters who are now living in Sweden. Uh, so the main concern, the focal point was. you know these countries ties with uh, kurdish groups in turkey and uh, turkey syria and uh, iraq so now uh, in the tri- trilateral memorandum both sweden and finland have agreed you know say whatever they have declared their commitment to fighting terrorism which is very well worked but at the same time they they have also named ypg pyd and feto in the memorandum so ypg uh, and pyd basically pyd is the movement and ypg is the arms uh, wing of the pyd which is uh, part of the syrian kurdish groups so the pkk pkk is the kurdish kurdistan workers party which is the turkey based kurdish militant group which has been designated as a terrorist organization by turkey the united states the eu etc etc and then ypg is based out of syria so ypg has better ties with 
countries in the West, including the United States. And Sweden, Swedish foreign minister, had met YPG leaders in the past. So they have now, in the memorandum, they have named these uh, groups, YPG and PYD, saying that they would not support these organizations. They don't call them terrorist organizations. Uh, Stanley, just to make one thing clearer for uh, the benefit of our leaders, what is the relationship between PKK and PYD? You said PYD is is an armed is a, is a movement, and PKK is also a political party. And is it a political party or is it also an armed outfit? So PKK is a militant organization. So there is uh, you know Kurdish Democratic parties are there, uh, whose leader Salahuddin Demirtas is also in prison apparently. Not just the PKK leader. PKK leader is Abdullah Ocalan, who's also in jail since 1999 in Turkish jail. And the Kurdish political leader, Salahuddin Demirtas, is also in jail uh, in Turkey. So, okay, uh, the point is uh, PKK is a militant organization uh, which started its armed militancy in 1984 against Turkey. And then uh, it has been designated as a terrorist organization. But that was also, you know, it is a contentious matter because there were if you look at the history, there were two EU court orders that called into question the due process that designated the PKK as a terrorist organization. But the EU actually has designated PKK as a terrorist organization, so including Finland and Sweden. So that is one thing. But YPG is part of, is the armed doing of the Syrian Kurdistan, the Rohawa. So practically, if you talk about, if you look at it ideologically speaking, Abdullah Ojalan is the leader of YPG as well, of PYD as well. You know, so Turkey sees PYD or YPG as an extension of the PKK, but there are organizational differences because YPG is not fighting against the Turkish state. So YPG is not even fighting against the Syrian state. YPG is part of the Syrian Kurdistan, which now has relative autonomy, which is now controlling part of northeastern Syria, especially after the Syrian civil war, right? And then, but they have ideological connections because YPG also look at Abdullah Ojalan because this PKK emerged as a leftist movement, you know, who, which wanted independence for the Turkish Kurdistan, but they mellowed down their a position uh, later on, especially after 2000. They are now asking for an autonomy for the Kurdistan and uh, Kurdish rights because uh, the emergence of PKK was a period when the Turkish state, especially after the 1980 military coup, unleashed uh, a brutal repression on the Kurdish rights, political and social rights in the Kurdistan region. That was the context of the rise of the PKK. So YPG on the other side, it is across the border. It is part of the Syrian Kurdistan. They have de facto autonomy at this point of time, especially because of the Syrian civil war. Bashar al-Assad, the Syrian president, decided not to fight the Syrian Kurds because he was faced with other far bigger threats from the rebels, you know, as well as the Islamic State. So YPG also emerged as the frontal soldiers of the war against the Islamic State. You look at the downfall of the Islamic State in Syria, you know, in Kobane, in Talabayat, uh, in Talafar, everywhere it was the YPG who actually fought the Islamic State on the ground. Uh, so these these are the broad differences between uh, differences at the same time similarities between YPG and the PKK. So is there another outfit or either of these two outfits uh, who are sort of operating for the Kurdistan kind of areas in Iraq as well? So uh, Iraq, the connection is uh, uh, PKK. While they actually, you know, they transformed into in the 1980s and early 1990s, PKK had bombed the cities. 
it had also killed civilians it is that's why pkk is designated as a terrorist organization by many countries uh, and ypg doesn't have that kind of a history and that's why ypg is not internationally designated as a terrorist organization ypg has stronger ties with these uh, governments uh, abroad but pkk has a complex history but of late pkk has actually you know the fight is going on between pkk ever since the collapse of the ceasefire in 2015 the fighting is going on between pkk and turkish forces and turkish forces are also on the other side accused of burning down kurdish villages cracking down on civilians if you look at the number of people killed since the insurgency began in 1984 uh, roughly 40000 people a vast majority of them are kurdish civilians because of uh, the way that the turkish forces fought the war in the kurdish regions so what the pkk did of late is that they especially during the ceasefire period they retreated they pulled back some of their forces into northern iraq so that's why turkey is now sometimes carrying out drone attacks in iraq as well targeting the pkk because in northern iraq the iraqi kurdistan the pkk had built some bases you know and turkey is targeting them as well that's how iraq is also coming into the picture so turkey's main battle is with the pkk which turkey sees as a threat as a security threat but at the same time turkey also sees the ypg as an extension of the pkk so the syrian kurdistan and turkish kurdistan and iraq uh, uh, area parts of northern iraq they are all geographically contiguous yeah. regions yeah they are geographically contiguous so the kurdish people uh, wherever they are living it's sort of divided into three different countries That's true there are people without a nation they are divided into four countries including in, in iran as well so you have kurds in iran you have kurds in um, iraq where you have an autonomous djore autonomous kurdistan which is there in iraq which is directly supported by the united states and since they are directly supported by the united states the barzini's administration they have relative protection and uh, they also have a, a well trained highly advanced militia wing called peshmerga so this is the uh, iraqi kurdistan but uh, that's not the case with the kurds elsewhere especially in syria and uh, turkey so but in syria after the civil war broke out as i pointed out they got at least de facto autonomy at this time uh, in syria are the kurds in iran oppressed as well uh, yeah they face uh, uh, i mean it may not be as grim as uh, turkey because uh, you know the kind of conflict or the kind of fighting you see in turkey which is not there in iran but at the same time there are allegations of Iranian Kurds are also facing discrimination structural discrimination from the state it's there right and another organization not related to the Kurds uh, but which turkey wants uh, to be proscribed is uh, FETO so could you talk a little bit about what this is and what what is the connection with sweden and finland here so turkey calls them fato fato is the fethullah gulen terrorist organization i don't think anybody else calls it a terrorist organization but turkey calls it a terrorist organization because turkey thinks that gulen gulen is uh, you know a mysterious religious leader who's based in the united states so uh, turkey says this gulenist movement you know was very powerful in turkey and the gulenist movement was behind the 2016 failed coup attempt in in turkey so what they were insinuating is that gulen is based in the united states and he was getting support from the cia etc etc so whether this is true we don't know but turkey had carried out you know very detailed purge against the gulenists the supposed gulenists after the 2016 coup coup attempt 
so thousands of people were purged from government uh, institutions, from schools, universities, etc., from the military, blaming that they had Gulenist links. And then Turkey calls the Gulenist movement as FETO, whereas other countries look at the Gulenists as a you know religious uh, or a social religious reform movement uh, with vast networks across the world. But what we see here in the trilateral memorandum, especially the language they have used, Sweden and Finland. So they say that Sweden and Finland will not provide support to YPGPYD and the organization described as FETO in Turkey. So that's how they were described FETO. They don't call it, F, uh, you know, the Gulenist movement FETO. But still, they also say that they have made the, the fact that they have named these groups in the trilateral memorandum and announced that they would not support them, I think that itself is a victory for Turkey. Right. You're saying that basically Finland and Sweden have agreed to whatever Turkey wanted. That's true. And not just this. I think uh, most, uh, a little more complex thing in the, uh, in the memorandum, which is in the eighth clause of the memorandum, when Finland and Sweden say that uh, they would address the pending Turkish request for extradition of whatever, uh, which means Turkey has been asking for Sweden, especially Sweden, uh, to extradite the Kurdish activists, political activists, writers, uh, accusing them of uh, having ties with the PKK. So in the memorandum, they have written that they would address these concerns. What does it mean? Is Sweden going to send Kurdish activists back to Erdogan for his support for uh, their NATO accession? I mean, this is, I think, the most important question that we have to see. Right. I mean, this, this is, I think, a question which also one Swedish member of parliament who is of Kurdish origin, Amina Kakabave, she has been very vocal in uh, in criticizing this agreement. She has said Sweden has, uh, what Sweden has carried out is basically a sellout to Turkey and she has threatened to launch a no-confidence motion against the Swedish foreign minister over this deal. So, would you agree with her assessment and the assessment of other human rights activists in Sweden that this deal is a sellout and how is it going to sit with the European Union's very uh, pronounced stand in favor of protecting human rights uh, wherever in the world? So, in Sweden, you know, as you pointed out, not just this particular lawmaker, even the left party you know, has come out against the agreement, the trilateral memorandum. Even, I think, uh, leaders from the Social Democratic Party, which is leading, which is uh, now a part of the government, and the Social Democratic Party uh, leaders were also critical of the memorandum, especially about these clauses. And some lawmakers say that Sweden cannot uh, leave its security, you know, policies. Sweden cannot let its security policies described by a despot within courts sitting in Ankara referring to Erdogan. So this is uh, completely different from the responses you saw in Finland. Finland, at least there was a larger parliamentary consensus on the NATO path. And uh, they are okay, I think, more or less. There could be some voices of dissent, but more or less this, the Finnish political class, you know, uh, they want this to go ahead and then Finland joining NATO. In Sweden, that's not the case. Uh, the left party and the Greens they were uh, critical of uh, NATO membership itself. Even the Social Democrats were, you know, the, the Swedish Prime Minister herself had criticized NATO, you know, a few months ago. But the Russian invasion may have changed their calculus that we can understand that it happens. But at the same time, the trilateral memorandum with NATO, 
there are serious uh, criticism within sweden about it so yeah so i think uh, we have to wait and see i don't know how this is going to impact swedish politics but we can see that there is friction there are criticisms and also there are questions about uh, you know whether this is a sellout about their commitments to human rights etc etc because at the end of the day they have agreed to look into all the demands uh, turkey wanted them to look into uh, in return for the nato membership yeah so is there any kind of a face saving kind of ambiguity in the way the agreement has been worded so that you know it might look like turkey is getting what it wanted and maybe erdogan has what he needs to show as a triumph or a diplomatic triumph to his domestic audiences but ultimately hopefully sweden and finland won't have to actually start deporting or extraditing human rights activists and you know kurdish rights activists who are not really terrorists in the way we understand the term so that they don't have to do this kind of a thing where you're selling out human rights for a perceived security threat yeah so what they can say is you know while interpreting the memorandum is that finland and sweden can say that we haven't designated the ypg as a terrorist organization despite pressure from ankara we haven't called the pyd or we haven't called the fato we call them fato as described you know as fato in Uh, Turkey. So you can interpret it uh, in different way, or they can also say that we haven't committed ourselves to extraditing these people. We have only said that we would uh, look into these issues. So uh, I mean, interpretations are possible. We don't know how this is going to play out, and that is also why Turkey is now saying that they could still block. They wouldn't send the protocol to Parliament, to Turkish Parliament, because the government is supposed to send the protocol to Parliament, and Parliament is expected to ratify it. only then the official turkish yes would go to nato headquarters so the turkish government is now saying that they would still they could still hold uh, the protocol back because they wanted the extradition or etc etc to take place so this is kind of a it's a game that is still being played out we don't know how they are going to interpret it in the future but as i look into the protocol what i can say what i can see is that sweden and finland have come off their high horses and you know agreed to trade their whatever values which they have been talking about in return for turkish support for their nato membership so the rest we have to see how they are going to interpret it or what is there any other deal behind uh, this trilateral memorandum because this is not only uh, between sweden finland on the one side and turkey on the other side the united states is the Uh, you know elephant in the room so of course uh, all 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 three countries must have negotiated with the united states so is there a behind the room behind the room deal we don't know so i think for the details we have to wait and see right speaking of a behind the room uh, deal uh, there has been some chatter on social media and in in some some sections of the international press about edwards meeting with biden and there was talk of uh, you know some kind of a fighter jet deal uh, happening or not happening do you think there is anything going on there in terms of what turkey is trying to do by leveraging its veto power on the membership of Sweden and Finland so turkey wants f16 that's not a secret erdogan himself had said that before going to madrid to attend the nato summit that he would raise the issue with biden and relations between the united states and turkey were not very good you know in the last few months especially after turkey bought s400 missile defense systems from the russians and the turkey was expelled from the f35 aircraft uh, program uh, by the united states 
So Erdogan would like to use it, of course, because uh, one of the, I think, most consequential geopolitical impacts of Russia's invasion of Ukraine is that it has transformed Turkish geopolitical profile in Europe, which Turkey has wanted for a long time. Turkey became suddenly more important than it was. You know, um, that's what you, you see in the trilateral memorandum. So the United States also wants Turkey's support if they are going to continue, they are going to press ahead with uh, the NATO's expansionist approach. So, yes, Erdogan wanted F-16. Erdogan said before going to Madrid that he would raise the issue with uh, the Biden administration. And the Biden administration has said that they are in principle okay with selling F-16 to the Turks pending congressional approval. So you see, you know, some kind of ISIS uh, melting between the Turks and the Americans. Whether this is part of uh, the deal, that we don't have those details, fine details. But we know that it's on the record that they had said that Erdogan wanted F-16s. And the Biden administration has recently has given in principle note to selling F-16s to the Turks, pending congressional approval, etc., etc. So something is going on between them. That's also evident. Right. I mean, it's very interesting because when sometime back, India was facing so much flack for uh, importing Russian oil. And, you know, in the context, uh, let's be clear of what is repeatedly invoked, you know, the rules-based international order. So there was also a lot of flack India was facing, threatened. They were still under some kind of threat, uh, threat of a sanction over the S-400 deal, uh, the anti-missile, this anti-aircraft anti-missile system from Russia. So Turkey has got these S-400s from Russia. It's getting probably F-16s from the US and it can import oil from Russia and, there's it, and the rules don't seem to apply to Turkey anymore. It can also buy grains from Russia. Turkey, can't, uh, Turkey doesn't have to impo- uh, you know, impose any sanctions on Russia. So it's like liberalism for, uh, you know, uh, realism for allies and liberalism for everyone else. Right. <laughs> Coming back to this uh, tripartite argument, you spoke a little bit about uh, Turkey's need for F-16s uh, from the US. Now, the agreement also makes repeated references to the removal of arms embargoes. Uh, like, How is Turkey affected by any arms embargo by Sweden or Finland? And how is their uh, removal going to affect it? What is it all about, this arms embargo clause? Yeah, I think uh, this is more of a symbolic Jester than the actual intent from the Turkish side to expand its defense ties with Sweden. Of course, Sweden is an important defense supplier. And in the future, Turkey might like to tap Swedish defense supplies as well. You know, that's quite possible. But at this point of time, the defense ties between Turkey and Sweden are negligible. And I don't see any, you know, immediate effort attempt from Ankara to expand the defense purchases from Sweden. But at the same time, Turkey says that the principle of NATO agreement, you know, NATO is a military alliance. It's a nuclear powered military alliance. So Sweden and Finland are joining NATO. So Turkey's point of view is that we are, I am NATO. I am part of NATO for the decades. And you are joining this alliance and you have arms embargoes on me. That's not acceptable. That's against the spirit of NATO. So that's where I think the opposition is coming from. So Turkey says, if you want to join NATO, if you want me to lift my objections, you have to first lift the arms embargoes you have put on me. So then you are welcome to the military alliance. I think that is that is the actual, you know, the source of 
uh, Turkish opposition to this or Turkish demand for lifting the arms embargo. And they have agreed. One of the closest uh, of the memorandum is that Sweden and Finland say that arms embargoes are non-existent from this point of time. Right. It's more a matter of symbolism and so and sort of a matter of principle for Turkey rather than any immediate arms deal that it wants to pursue. Fine. We're running out of time, Stanley. One final question before we wrap up. So coming back to the YPG and other uh, Kurdish military forces, they, uh, I mean, as you pointed out, they have played a crucial role in the West's military campaign against the world's most dreaded terrorist group, the Islamic State in Syria. So they were heroes uh, until we were battling uh, Islamic State. Now suddenly two EU countries and the broader Western alliance are okay with uh, you know, classifying the YPG as some kind of a terrorist group in this tripartite agreement. Like how does this work? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, that's what happened because even in the past also, when ISIS was, the physical caliphate was destroyed and uh, in the northeastern Syria became relatively safe and the Kurds were rebuilding their towns. Turkey uh, started their first uh, incursion into Syria. The United States did not come to the Kurds' defense because during the war, the United States set up this Syrian Democratic Front. And in the Syrian Democratic Front, the main group, the main fighting force was the YPG. But once the ISIS, the physical presence of ISIS was destroyed, once, you know, uh, they liberated the entire eastern Syria, Raqqa, and, uh, you know, especially in the Turkish border, the Syrian-Turkish border towns like Kobane, Talabeyad, etc., etc., their resort. So once ISIS was destroyed, then Turkey found it, you know, Turkey looked at it this way, like across the border, Syrian autonomous region is taking shape. And Turkey thought that that would embolden the PKK, who are already fighting with you. And Turkey doesn't want to, want that to happen. Turkey also doesn't want the YPG weapons to end up in the hands of the PKK. So the Turkish approach was to create a buffer between the two Kurdish regions and populate this buffer with pro-Turkey militants. So there are pro-Turkey militants who were initially fighting to topple Bashar al-Assad. They failed to do it because of the Russian, thanks to the Russians and the Iranians, as well as the Syrian forces. They lost the civil war. So what Turkey is now planning to do is to create a 30-kilometer wide buffer along the Turkish uh, you know, Syrian border and populate that buffer with pro-Turkey militants, pro-Turkey rebels. So that uh, they can kind of, you know, create a, they can, they can have, Turkey will have some kind of a pro-Turkish force between the two Kurdish regions. That's what their plan is. So when Turkey invaded, in, you know, Turkey made an incursion into Syria in the past, the United States didn't do anything. Despite the fact that the Syrian Kurds were an American allies on the battlefield against the ISIS. So it's true that the YPG fought back the ISIS and defeated the ISIS in northeastern and eastern Syria with support from the United States. But as soon as ISIS was defeated, Turkey came after the YPG and nobody was there to support the Kurds. So that's what actually happened. I think that's what is going to happen now also because Erdogan, so this is not only about getting Sweden's or Finland's support for Erdogan's fight against terrorism. This is not only about getting F-16. Of course, it is also about it, but that's not the only case. I also think that Erdogan thinks, you know, after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, given that, uh, you know, the changing strategic profile of Turkey, etc., etc., 
Turkey sees an opportunity to make another incursion into Syria so that it can widen and it can prolong the buffer. Uh, because the United States is right now preoccupied with Europe. Even last time, the United States did not interfere when Turkey went into Syria. So this time they are not going to do it either. They will look away. And Russia is also preoccupied with its invasion in Ukraine. Russia may not be in a position to deter Turkey. Last time when Turkey did it, it was the Russians who did not challenge Turkey militarily, but talked with the Turks and then they agreed some kind of a mechanism. So Russia held back fire from Idlib and Turkey decided to stop its incursions. And some kind of a negotiated settlement was there between the Russians and the Turks. But this time the Russians may not be able to do that either. So the Kurds are now left to themselves. So Turkey sees this as an opportunity. So it is possible that Erdogan would, would make uh, another military incursion into Syria in the coming weeks. And since Erdogan is uh, a NATO ally and uh, Erdogan is not Vladimir Putin, I don't think that Erdogan would face any international repercussions if Erdogan makes another incursion into another sovereign country on its neighborhood and grab territories from Syria. Right. This is an extremely complicated uh, scenario there in that region. And I think two big uh, takeaways from what you've uh, explained so well, Stanley, one is, of course, the changing strategic profile of Turkey, which in the context of, of what many would call a retreat of sorts uh, from the US and as well as the preoccupation of Russia with Ukraine, it has created this, uh, it has created this geopolitical vacuum, which someone like Erdogan might want to exploit. And of course, uh, it also means that the entire Kurdish region, as you said, a people without a country, I think they are going to face a lot of difficulty and suffering and misery as this war in their uh, territory, in their region goes on. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and insights. We'll probably come back to this in a few weeks from now. Sure, some Thank you, Stan. Thanks. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.